morning we're going to begin in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Hebrews 12, before we go there, I remember this morning, after the, after the Israelites came back to Judah from being in Babylon for 70 years, and they came back to Jerusalem, and they rebuilt the wall, and rebuilt Jerusalem, and so forth, it says, Ezra the priest opened the book of the law, and says that all the people, the that were there, the crowd of people there, they all stood up. And they stood up the whole time that he was reading, and they wept as they, they heard what he was reading. Tremendous uh, passion and uh, tremendous conviction upon them about the Word of God. In Hebrews 11, it talks about men and women of faith. talks about how Moses refused to be called son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he chose instead to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, for a time. In chapter 12, we begin in verse 1. Therefore, of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, <clears throat> let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance or patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. And you have not resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. Excuse me. The writer of Hebrews here talks about the cloud of witnesses were surrounded by. Who in the world is he talking about? If you look at it, it starts out, verse 1, saying, therefore, which connects it to the chapter before that. He's talking about all the witnesses from our past, past church history, past history of the Old Testament, men and women of God from Genesis forward. We're surrounded by a witness in the Word of God of people who went before us and served God and refused to enjoy the pleasure of sin, but instead suffered affliction with the people of God. And they ran with patience the race, or in endurance, the race that was set before them. And, that, and for us, we are called to look unto Jesus. When it says, look unto Jesus, it means look unto his life. 
everything that happened in his life, things that he taught, things that he said, what he endured from sinners against himself. Look at how he walked. Look unto Jesus. He is the one, the pattern that's set before us. Peter says that we, he gave us a pattern that we should walk in his footsteps. And he says, consider how, what he suffered, sinners against him. Lest we become discouraged. When sinners, when people <coughs> sin against us. And have hostility towards us. He endured his cross. And he calls us to endure ours. We go from there to verse 14. The meat, the meat of what we that happens between what we just read and what until we get to 14 is about God disciplining us. And then he says in verse 14, Pursue peace with all men and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane or godless person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, so he sought it carefully with tears. The heavy-duty warnings of the book of Hebrews they are not written to those of the Old Covenant, those under the law. This is written to the New Testament Christian. The book of Hebrews goes into great detail speaking of New Testament Christianity. In the middle of it, there's these warnings. Not to be like Esau, a godless, immoral man like Esau. Fornicator, sexually immoral, or godless like Esau. Esau traded in his birthright, his right that was given to him, for temporary gratification. His body wanted food, he traded in his birthright for it. The fact of the matter is, as you follow the story of Esau, he didn't really take to heart what he did. Because later, he still wanted the birthright. He, he expected it. And he was angry when his brother swiped it from him. But as we see, it was ordained by God. And by his mother, too, of course. But, Rachel. But, no. <coughs> Isaac and Rebecca. I'm sorry, Rebecca, not Rachel. Rebecca. Mm -hmm. We are warned... Not to trade in the right that God gives us to eternal life for temporary gratification. This is what the message is here from the book of Hebrews. As many as believe in Him, to them does He give the right to become the children of God. We have certain rights and privileges that are given to us who have faith in Christ. And the message here is don't trade that in for temporary gratification, for, you know, 
The book of Galatians says, we have been called to liberty, just don't use your liberty to serve the flesh, human nature. That's a tremendous warning. Because afterwards, when he wanted his birthright, it was too late. Judgment had come against him. And though he sought it carefully with tears, the Bible says on the day of judgment there will be weeping and grinding of teeth. This is a message about fearing God and fearing the things that he said in his word. To not take, take for granted the grace of God. To not be careless, not to walk carelessly. The Bible says not to walk in a way that's lazy and sluggish. But to be sober and watchful. Be on guard. And we know from reading His Word that this is the leading of the Holy Spirit because it's in His Word, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He sought it diligently with tears, but for him it was too late. And it goes on, we read on in, from verse 18, it says, For you have not come to the mountain that may not be touched with... <clears throat> and that burned with fire, and to the blackness, and darkness, and tempest, and the sound of the trumpet, and the voice of words, so that those who heard it begged that the word should not be spoken to them any more, for they could not endure what was commanded. And if so much as a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned or shot through with an arrow. And so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I am exceedingly afraid and trembling. He said, we haven't come to that. And people were afraid of that. All about the time of Moses. The children of Israel were, were scared at the voice of, of God and the trumpets. The one thing we want to remember all this is that even though we're in a new covenant, God hasn't changed. We have a new covenant, but God is still God. And that's what he's bringing forth here. God hasn't changed. He's made a new covenant with the people of God. But he himself has not changed as we continue to read this in the New Testament, not the Old. He says, but you have, verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. This is what we've come to. We've come to the God of the new covenant. But listen to what he goes on to say. Verse 25. See that you do not refuse him who speaks for speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks in heaven. Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. Now this 
yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken, as of things that are made that can that things which cannot be shaken may remain. <clears throat> Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably, acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. He's still a consuming fire. He hasn't changed. He said, let us serve God acceptably. With reverence. Reverencing God and with holy fear. With godly fear. It's a call to sobriety. It's a call to holiness. A call to fear of the Lord. A call of understanding. That God says He means and we should take it seriously and reverence it. Reverence Him. Reverence His Word. In the Old Testament it says, God says, I, I honor my Word above all my name. God reverences His Word that He's given. And He calls us to reverence it too. And to act accordingly. Let us serve God acceptably. Acceptable to who? Acceptable to us? No. Acceptable to Him. We talked last week about worshiping God in spirit and according to the truth. Serving God in a way that's acceptable to Him. Yeah, sometimes, a lot of times, many times, most of the times maybe, it goes against our comfort zone, against our human nature, against all that we like in our own self. And our own will. And that's why it says those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its affections, its affections, its things that it likes, and its desires, its lusts. Put them then to death. So we can serve God acceptably, with reverence, with respect, and with godly fear and holy fear. God was a consuming fire in the book of Exodus and all the way through. And you read in the book of Revelation from Genesis to Revelations God is a consuming fire. We read in the book of Revelation that fire comes down from heaven and destroys those who are gathered against him. We read in the Old Testament where the prophet Elijah calls fire down from heaven to destroy those who are against the Lord and against His will. who are trying to arrest Elijah. God is a consuming fire. It's not what He wants to do. And that's why He's taking His time. He's giving... This is a period of grace, a time of grace to get right with Him, to accept His terms, to embrace His forgiveness, embrace the truth concerning the blood of Jesus, that He died for our sins and He wants to have a relationship and that He loves us. This is the message. But it's according to His terms, not ours. 
And he offers this great covenant to us of peace and mercy and love and forgiveness. But he's still a consuming fire. He's a spirit and a consuming fire. And not to be taken lightly. Pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. So, we go from there back to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10 beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir us up for love and good works, or to provoke one another to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some but encouraging one another daily, and so much more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin, for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy at the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose when he be thought worthy has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Can the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified as a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He's not talking to the Old Testament Jews. It is very clear he's speaking to the New Testament Christian. He talks about Jesus, the mediator of the New Covenant, us who have the mediator, a a new and living way, Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant. And he says to encourage each other, as we gather together, encourage one another, to gather together and to stir one another to love and good works, and even more so as we see that day approaching, and we do see that day approaching. And he says... He warns against sinning willfully. He says, Two. 
in the Old Testament, he says anyone who rejected Moses' law died at the testimony of one of two or three witnesses. And that's the law. It's the Old Testament. Look how severe that punishment is. And he says something very strong here. He says, how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who's trampling the Son of God underfoot? Those who continue in sin. Those who sin willfully. He says, verse 26, if we sin willfully, this is who he's addressing. He says that you're trampling the Son of God underfoot, counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified as a common thing. These are people who are sanctified by the blood of the covenant. That's what it says here. And insulted the Spirit of grace. God will judge His people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Our God is a consuming fire. This is from the New Testament. It shows the severity of the Old Testament. And it warns the severity of those who trample the Son of God underfoot by continuing in sin. Romans chapter 6 or that up. Shall we continue in sin? God forbid. God forbid. <clears throat> How will we who have been freed from sin walk, live any longer in it? <clears throat> the next one is in chapter 6 of Hebrews. Kind of back and going backwards. Hebrews 6. Beginning in verse 4. For it is impossible for those who are once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God, and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected, and near being cursed, whose end is to be burned. Again, serious, serious warning about not respecting, not walking, the Spirit, not walking with the Lord, and <clears throat> say, well, what's the difference between backslidden and the Lord bringing them back in this point here? Well, it's not clearly defined, but the Bible teaches us in the book of James, brethren, if any among you errs from the truth and one brings him back, let him know that he... Uh, who turns a sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. So, we have hope. 
But it's a warning to us who are in Christ that are hearing the Word to take heed and to respect the Word of God and to not think because we're under the covenant of grace that it's a license to sin, to walk in the flesh, to walk in an unloving spirit, to be ungodly, to be harsh, to do things that Jesus told us not to do. The apostles warned us about to live in the flesh, so to speak. That's what the warning is in all this. The works of the flesh are these, that those who live like this shall not inherit the kingdom of God. No matter what you profess, no matter what you think you are. John the Baptist preaching, when he was preparing them for the Christ, he said, don't say you're the children of Abraham. He said, don't just, because God is able to draw from these rocks children of Abraham. He says, but bring forth fruits worthy of repentance. Verse 9. But brothers, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. Verse 11. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish or lazy, but imitate those through faith and patience, inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. We have to patiently endure. We have to persevere, he who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. <clears throat> I left out part of chapter 10, chapter 10 of Hebrews, verse 36. I was meant to read it after I read the first part of it. Hebrews 10.36 For you have a need of patience or endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. We just read that in chapter 6, didn't we? So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise, speaking of Abraham. For you have a need of patience, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. The verse before that, therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has a great reward. Don't give up. Jesus said we should pray and never lose heart, never give up. We must continue in the things that we heard. Jesus said, He who endures to the end, the same shall be saved. We must endure to the end of our life. We must continue in the things we have heard. We must persevere 
Let us run the race with endurance. It's all over the book of Hebrews, isn't it? The long distance race. Apostle Paul said, I have run the race. Speaking of this life of faith that we're called to. Full assurance of faith, fully persuaded in the Word of God, and not being lazy and careless. Jesus warns that at the time of His coming, He says, See to it that you're not overtaken and overindulgence. The cares of this life, many things. He says because to them his coming will be like a trap, a snare. will take them unawares. Pray always that you may found worthy to escape these things that are coming upon the earth and to stand before the Son of Man. To not be left behind. Pray always. Jesus said that. In Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5, And Moses was indeed faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. But Christ as a son over his house, over his own house, whose house we are if, we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of our the hope firm into the end. We are his house if we endure to the end. Which means if we don't endure to the end, we are not his house. <clears throat> Verse twelve Beware, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God, but encourage one another daily, what is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence firm or steadfast to the end. He says it again. He repeats what he said earlier in the chapter. If we have become partakers of Christ if we endure to the end. <clears throat> the deceitfulness of sin hardens our heart. And he talks about the responsibility of fellowship. There's a lot of Christians that don't see the need for fellowship. They don't see the need for assembling together, even though we just said not we just read about not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But yet it's ordained by God. They don't see the value in it. They don't see the responsibility to their brothers and sisters in it. <coughs> Encouraging one another. Daily. Today. Lest any of you be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We are our brother's keeper. We are our sister's keeper. We have a responsibility in fellowship. 
And it's in the Word of God and it's all over the Word of God. Some people think fellowship is just listening to a sermon. I can watch that on TV, on satellite or whatever. I can watch a sermon on my phone. I can listen to it on my phone. And it's true. I'm not saying none of those things is any good. But that's not what fellowship is about. That's not what loving one another and encouraging one another is about. It's about being in each other's presence. It's about encouraging one another. It's about helping one another. It's about reaching out to one another. It's about warning one another. Correcting one another. It's about being part of one another's life. The body of Christ is a brotherhood. Not a filling station. There's much more to it. It is much deeper than that. It is a is a brotherhood. It is a society. A holy society that we've been called to. Continue on. While it is said, Today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? Now, with whom was he angry forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they could not and would not enter his rest? But those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Disobedience and unbelief were at work together in these people. And judgment came against them. And this is this is a message to the New Testament Christian. The example once again. We read it in First Corinthians chapter ten. We read it recently. And here we read it here. They they did not enter because they did not enter God's rest because they did not obey. Verse eighteen. Verse 19, they could not enter in because of unbelief. Faith is an action word. Faith acting with our works. It says in the book of James, I made made their faith perfect. And so the opposite is also true. This disobedience, rebellion, working with unbelief. Chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, since a promise remains of Enninger's rest, let us fear. You say, let us pray. It says here, let us fear. And that's the name of this sermon today, Josiah, when you put this up. Let us fear. Since there is a promise for us of eternal life, of entering God's rest, let us fear. A promise of ending his rest in this life and in the life to come. Lest any of you seem to come short of it. Any of you who? Any of you who he's addressing? Made it clear it's holy brethren. Verse chapter three and verse one. Holy brethren. Church. He's addressing the church. Verse 12 says, Beware brothers, the church, 
He says, let us fear. Lest any of you seem to come short of it. The church. Verse 2. For in the, indeed the gospel was preached to us, the church, as well to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being with mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed entered that rest. We enter God's rest through faith. The book of Galatians says God, God dwells in our that Jesus dwells in our hearts through faith. God lives in our hearts through faith. We enter God's rest through believing His Word. <coughs> Verse 9 of chapter 4. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who enters God, his rest, God's rest, has himself ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Does anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience? We enter God's rest through faith. It says, we who believe do enter that rest. Verse 9, there's a rest for the people of God. When we enter that rest, we cease from our own works. Doing things in our own strength. Walking in the flesh. Trying to serve God in the flesh. We walk in the Spirit by faith. And we enter God's rest. Be diligent, brothers, to enter that rest. We enter that, that rest through faith, diligently, and... not fall into the same example of disobedience. Faith and obedience is emphasized in the gospel, in the book of James. Here, it talks about faith and obedience and unbelief and disobedience. We enter God's rest through faith and leads us to submission. Otherwise, it leads Unbelief leads us to rebellion. Romans chapter 11. Here, Romans 11, we don't have time to read the whole chapter, of course, but it's talking about the Israelites again here. Amazing how much the apostles refer to the rebellion of the Israelites, and always using it as an example and a warning and admonition and a correction to us. Amazing. And he talks about, in verse 17, and if some of the branches were broken off, referring to the, the Israelites who fell because of their rebellion and the rejection of Christ, he said, and you, being a wild olive tree, a Gentile, were grafted in among them 
and with them become a partaker of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Do not boast against the branches, but if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches are broken off, that I may be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they are broken off. Israelites that were rejected. They were broken off, and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, or some versions say, do not be high-minded, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God. On those who fell, severity. But toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will also be cut off. He's saying the judgment that happened to the Old Testament Jews and the Jews who rejected Jesus during his lifetime, they were broken off. He said, and we stand by faith. He said, don't, don't get proud and haughty about it. He says, but fear. He says, do not be haughty, but fear. Let us fear. Saying the same thing it says in Hebrews. To walk in the fear of God. Let us fear. Not be afraid of God beating us from behind with a baseball bat. Let us walk with God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. Godly fear. Godly fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, He may not spare you either. Consider both the goodness and the severity of God. Consider the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, the compassion of God, all the things we see in Jesus. And consider the severity of God. His fiery indignation to His adversaries. We see in the Old Testament, we see it in the book of Revelation. We see God strike Herod. He was eaten with worms and he died. An angel struck him and he died. The severity of God's judgment. God is a consuming fire. Consider the goodness and the consuming fire, the fiery judgment of God. The fire indignation of God. That hasn't changed. The new covenant is a covenant of grace and mercy. But to those who fall short of the grace of God, who use the grace of God as a license to indulge in the flesh, the severity will fall on them too. We must continue in His goodness. As it says here, we must continue in the grace of God, it says in one place. Walk in the Spirit. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh and its affections and its desires. Let us continue in the grace of God. Let us fear. Verse 23, And they also, the Jews, if they do not continue unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able... God is able to receive Jews back who, who are in unbelief, who come to believe the gospel. And we've come to know some of them over the course of years. Israel, people who are descendants of, of the Israelites in our time, 
have come to believe the gospel of Jesus. And God receives them back into the covenant, the new covenant. And the last one is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 12. Continuing on that theme. Beginning in verse 1. And in the meantime, <clears throat> when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together, so they trampled one another, he began to say to his disciples, First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark, be heard in the light. And what you have spoken in the inner, in the ear and the inner rooms will be proclaimed on the hot housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will show you who you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Fear of God. Beginning of wisdom. Things that are done in secret will be shattered on the housetops. Walking in the fear of God, let us fear, it does not mean when others are around. God is present with us and in us at all times. Let us not be hypocritical, he says. The poison of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, hypocrisy. They professed they knew God. But when God the Son came, they killed him. They murdered him. Premeditated murder. The deceitfulness of sin hardened their hearts. Jesus wrote on the ground, and they were going to stone the woman who had sinned, committed adultery. They caught her in the act. They were going to drag her out. Let's, what, is, what should we do? The law says we should stone her to death. And Jesus said, yeah, it does. And then he began to expose their hypocrisy and said, start talking to them. Whatever you do without sin, throw the first stone. They all walked out and left her alone. The leaven of hypocrisy. Our walk should be real. Walking in the fear of God in the dark room as well as in the light when everybody's around. Reminding of the presence of God and the grace of God toward us. God is gracious and merciful and loving. The goodness of God, the grace of God, the severity of God, that God is a consuming fire. 
and with fiery indignation he will punish all his adversaries. He says we must continue and endure in the grace that he's given us. Hold our confidence of our hope firm and firm to the end. And do not allow ourselves to be have our hearts hardened through the deceitfulness of walking in the flesh. The deceitfulness of sin. It's a blinder. A message of sobriety from the book of Hebrews. From the letter of Paul. Warnings of Peter. Writing in the Gospel of Luke from Jesus himself. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. Dan, I'm going to over to you.